0: You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Adam Wilson. Dave, you good to keep tickling the keys for another 40 minutes, man? No, I was just playing. I actually wouldn't mind, but I think that might not be the right call. Love hearing you play, man. So you guys have probably heard uh, expressions like, like father, like son, or uh, the apple doesn't fall uh, far from the tree. If you, if you often ask a kid what they want to be when they grow up, uh, they often say they want to be like their parents, right? If you ask Salem, my daughter, what she wants to be when she grows up, she doesn't want to be like me, she wants to be like her mom, she wants to be a nurse, right? She carries around her stethoscope, like loves the, the doctor kit, um, you won't, my boys, uh, the boys we have don't get to choose what they want to you when they grow up. I named them Deacon and Shepherd, so they kind of already had it like lined out from them. So, sorry guys, I know like a bad parenting move, but time will tell, right? Uh, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be like my dad um, in all kinds of ways. I, I wanted to hunt, and I wanted to fish, and I wanted to camp, and I wanted to build houses, because that's what my dad did. It's kind of who he was. Uh, man, I have these moments where my kids imitate me. And I'm like, where did you hear that? Like, and I'm about to discipline, I'm like, oh no, you heard that from me. Oh man. So sometimes my kids imitate me even when I don't want them to. And uh, it's because we, we want to be like our parents, we want to be like our mentors, we, we want to imitate them. And, and the opening invitation to us today in Ephesians that Paul's giving to us is, be imitators of God. And I love this passage because it's actually really unique. There are other places where uh, Paul talks to Christians, and will say, hey, imitate uh, me as I follow Christ. Or... He'll say, hey, imitate these churches who are doing this commendable thing. But here is the one place where he says, Christian, you have the deep privilege and the pursuit to imitate the God of the universe. Now, you can't. I want to just caveat, you can't imitate God in every way. I'm not expecting you to, like, create something out of nothing. Or uh, I'm not expecting you, or Paul's not expecting us to be present in every place all at once. Or he's not even expecting you to know what your spouse is thinking without them saying it. Don't get an amen, right? (laughs) But as his people, we're meant to imitate God's character. We have the privilege of giving people a taste of what God is like. In this passage, I I I really am excited to show you in this passage today that imitation is all about identity. We imitate what we believe our identity to be. I imitated my dad because I was his son. My kids imitate me and, and Jen for the same reason. Uh, when, I, when I was young in my life, I imitated different uh, mentors because I wanted my identity to be like theirs. I wanted to be like them. And we're going to see that our actions are evidenced of what you believe your identity to be. And this passage, as is, is, is you just read it is, and heard it, uh, so beautifully read. Man, great voice, Brian. I, I can't get over your voice, man. Um, Come, come, read to me to sleep at night. You can be my. (laughs) Can we set that up? Um, This passage that you just heard it gives us all these commands around our actions and how we treat others, how we view sexuality, how our speech should sound, how we spend our time. That's going to be next week. But the beauty of this passage that I really want you to capture is that each of these invitations, each of these commands, is based on the bedrock of a specific identity that is already factually true if you're a Christian. So the big idea I just want you guys to get today is that through Jesus, we get to imitate our Father, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus. And there's going to be three ways that we do that in the passage today. And, you know, in the two weeks, I might do a part two. we got, we got some more to cover. But um, 1 through 14, the first way we imitate God is that we walk in love. Each one of these is a walk uh verb walking mean doing not just thinking look at verse two with me paul says to us christians and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to god so you could go to anyone anywhere any religion non-religious any country and i think you could generally get a common consensus that would affirm this statement we should love one another Most people would affirm that. You don't have to be a Christian to affirm that, right? You don't have to read the Bible to affirm that. It's almost like the free space on bingo card, right? Like you, everyone, it's just a freebie. Everyone gets it. We're all on the same page, right? But Paul's inviting us to walk out actually a specific type of love that most people in the world functionally reject. I want to show you that. Three times in these two verses... This love is described as the Greek word agape. You may have heard that before. This is different from like uh, bro love or like friend love. It's different than romantic or like love for your boo or sexual love. In the Bible, it's almost always associated with a love directly from God to others. Agape love is undeserved. It's gracious. It's constantly speaking to the benefit of the other, looking for the benefit of the other. It's not just sappy emotional, it's action-based, an act of the will. And Paul points us to the best tangible example of what this love is. This agape-type love lived out, that Christ loved us and, and gave himself up for us. He says, you want to see a picture of real agape love for us to model and us to walk in? He says, picture in your minds for a second, Christian. Close your eyes and picture Jesus writhing in agony on the cross, experiencing the rejection of his his highest love, his love for the Father, experiencing rejection from the Father on your behalf. And as he is dying, people are spitting on him, mocking him, yelling, crucify him. And he looks to the Father and says, Father, I'm doing this for them. They don't know what they're doing. Would you forgive them because I love them? That's the kind of love that Paul's wanting us to think about, to, to walk out. You and I, we were in the place of the ones yelling, mocking, spitting, and Jesus still loved us. Listen to how the Bible describes us a little bit. Um, just a few things of, of how we were kind of those people. It says in Ephesians 2, which we covered a, a month ago, that we were children of wrath. We deserve punishment. Romans 1 says, none of us is good. Titus 3 says, we were hating one another and hated ourselves. And I think, as too often, we can view uh, God like coming, Jesus coming down to earth, walking in the room, looking at us, and be like, oh my gosh, look at how attractive and lovely that person is. I cannot help but love them. They are just so dang awesome, right? Uh, but really, instead, Jesus, when he came, he, he walked in the room and he, he saw the most helpless, the most need, the most brokenness, the most sin, but in spite of that, still loved us, still went to us because of his character, not because you and I were so lovely and so awesome. And so imitating God's love is loving one another like the Son loved us, giving ourselves away for the good of the other. And you and I's love is meant to be a reverberating act, a reverberating imitation of the greatest act of love of all time. And um, I was, I've been so impacted on this point by Luke 6. That's why Jesus instructed his, his followers on, on how to love. He says, in Luke 6, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those that love them. Um, that's like the free space on bingo. Everyone loves people that loves them. It's easy to love Mr. Rogers, or it's easy to love Tim Wilkerson. He's like a teddy bear, a great teddy bear, right? It's easy to love people that love you that are easy to love, that are not awkward, that give you stuff, that make you dinner. He says, though, this is how you love in a way that imitates me. He says, but love your enemies. Do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be, listen to this, sons and daughters of the Most High. Remember we get to imitate our dad? For he's kind and ungrateful to the evil. All right, so I read this in college with a Bible study of guys, and we were like, We want to do this. Who are our enemies? Who are the ungrateful and the evil that we can come in and love? And we all just with one mind said, like, we know it is. It's Valley Towing Company. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we got it. Like, that's who it is. We had, you know, if you're in college, you get towed. You guys, I've actually had a couple illustrations in terms about valley towing. Um, Man, we got towed. If you're in college and you get towed, it just, it, it, it wrecks your life. And they did it without remorse. And, um... So we're like, we're going we're gonna to have a valley-towing week of love. These college guys, a group of 10 college guys. So for every day in this valley-towing week of love, we would go and drop off gifts, notes of encouragement, flowers for the receptionist. And they thought it was the weirdest thing I think <laughs> they had ever seen. And I'll be honest, I felt kind of weird doing it. But it was, it was incredible saying, you know, just look at how Jesus has loved me I was the valley towing. I was the guy towing away the car, right? I was the, the one that was, uh, that was not deserving of love, but God still loved me. And so I just give you a small expression of loving others, right? Uh, but let's just be honest. We're, we're not great at this. Our, our world is not great at this. this. This type of love is not natural to us. If you look around the world today, if you look at politics or Twitter or if you go to the post office or you go to MVA or DMV, if you live in Virginia, where I'm from, it is not a, just a vivid picture of people laying down one of their lives, giving themselves away for the benefit of the other, is it? We can only imitate God in this way, walk in this way, if you first realize, believe your identity. And, and I, I skipped verse one. I want to go back to verse one. Remember how verse 1 started, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's that same word, agape again. In Christ, you're agape children, is what that means. At no loveliness, no work of our own, God adopted us, it's back in Ephesians 1, we'd already covered that, as his own, his own sons, his own daughters. And when Christ took the sinner's place, our place, and sat in our seat so we could sit in his seat as a beloved son. And what that means is that God treats you and God views you as he views Jesus. So when God says these words over his son in Matthew 3, he says, Look at my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and delighted. By the way, beloved there is that same word, agape, my agape son. Friend, if you're in Christ, these are the exact same words that, that God speaks over you as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter. Whether you're killing it or you're getting killed this week, God says, this is my beloved. This is whom my delight rests on because of Christ. And when we truly believe our identity is, is secure as God's beloved despite all we did to rebel against him. It's just, it just makes us want to love others in a costly way. Uh, you might ask, what does is, what is this agape action sacrificial type love look like? Um, there are examples in the Bible. I'll, I'll list a few. Um, It talks about giving financially for others' needs, sacrificing your money. It talks about praying for one another, sacrificing your time. It talks about welcoming others in your home, sacrificing your safe pace, safe place. Or for us, it was sacrificing our Nespresso pods, man. Suckers would come in there and just take all our coffee. And we would gladly do it, though. We were happy to have you in your home, if that's you. (laughs) Uh, It can mean forgiving one another, sacrificing your emotions, or even sacrificing your feeling of justice showing patience with one another, another. sacrificing your efficiency, sacrificing your time. So I want you to think for a minute as we close this point, just think about the most challenging person to love in your life right now, that God has placed in your life right now, They might be in this room. And I think in light of this person or these people, you have a couple options. We can kind of view them, I think the world would, would instruct us to, which is, uh, man, this person's really hard to love. I'm going to create some distance. I'm going to create some, some cushion. Maybe I'll even be kind but cold. Or, or this person hurt me, so how can I make them pay? Maybe it's even like subtle Christian ways that seem spiritual. Or we can look to Jesus and we can, we can imitate God. We can walk in love. Instead of viewing him as this like obstacle to get out of the way or to get over, man, what would it look like to view that person as an opportunity? An opportunity to show them and imitate the very love of Jesus that you and I did not deserve, that you can just show a small reflection of to to this person. And make no mistake, this kind of love is costly. Uh, Amy Carmichael, she gave her life away for ill-treated children in India, and she says, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. You will have to give for this kind of love. It is costly. So friends, the, the degree in which you believe your identity is a beloved, agape son and daughter of the king, no matter what your week has looked like, is the degree in which you are going to love others at cost to yourself. That's the first one, we walk in love. The second point I'm, I'm going to spend a little more time on, um, the second invitation to imitate God is to walk in purity. It's going to walk in purity. I'm going to spend a little bit more time at this point because as soon as I even said the word purity, probably different things probably just filled your mind. Let's look at verse 3. Paul says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So Paul goes, Something we should have love to things that um, should be absent among the Christians, among Christians. He says sexual sin and greed, and I'm going to spend some time unpacking this, all right? He talks about sexual immorality. So people try to work around this in the Bible for obvious reasons, but this word for sexual immorality makes it to the the top of Paul's list of sins to avoid over and over again in other uh, letters he writes. And the word Paul uses here um, comes from the word when we get porn. Uh, it's a broad word to describe different types of sexual sin. Uh, in the Bible, this can include adultery, uh, a little bit of an old word we don't use very much called fornification. That just means having sex with someone that's not your spouse, not your husband or your wife. It includes homosexuality, lustful thoughts. Uh, modern examples that you could include in the umbrella today would be uh, pornography. It makes sense from the word, right? Uh, moving in together before you're married, sexting, scrolling, social in a way that really gets you, that kind of works up feelings of lust or uh, being immersed in a smutty, like, romance novel. I got that from one of our sisters. That was an example. Anybody feeling a little squirmy? Just listen off stuff over here. Seeing a couple squirmies. So broadly, though, what Paul is calling to avoid anything that intentionally gets our, our body, our mind, our soul revved up for sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And then he lists, and I'm going to come back to that, don't worry, and then he lists impurity. Paul also calls for Christians to avoid impurity. This uh, often is associated with sexual sin, but they convey a more general sense of just holiness in all areas of life. And Paul looks at these two things and he says these shouldn't even be named among the Christian. Uh, the NIV says not a hint. There shouldn't be a hint of these things. I don't know about you guys, though. It, it's extremely hard, and, and I, I pastor here to to have this not a hint attitude in a culture that is just normalizes sexual sin. It's normalized as we scroll our phone. It's normalized as whatever we watch. It's normalized in the advertisements we see. Our, our consciences so easily get numbed by a world that centers our identities or tries to center our identities around sex and is just inundated with uh, pornography. I honestly think pornography is a really accurate bellwether for how inundated in sexual sin our culture is. There's crazy stats around pornography. I'm going to give you a couple. I don't know if you knew this, about 40 million American adults regularly visit pornography sites on the internet. Every second, 28,000 people are watching porn. Among college age adults, 87% report having, uh, of, of college men have used pornography, 31% of women have. This just blew my mind. Teens and young adults believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. I'm all for recycling, but porn is worse than—sorry, viewing—not recycling is worse than viewing porn. And we just—because of this constant flood of sexuality in our life, instead of a not-a-hint mentality, I think it's easy for Christians to develop a how-close-can-I-get mentality. Like, what, what's the most sexualized content I can watch or delve into before it's too far? What's the furthest I can go physically with my boyfriend or, or, or girlfriend without crossing that line? Man, that was uh, when Jen and I started dating, that was, that was part of our struggle. What, what's the closest I can get emotionally to somebody until it kind of gets to be an inappropriate, sinful relationship? And when it comes to sexual sin, we we tend to minimize, we tend to justify, we tend to generalize, and we tend to hide. But what is God calling us here to? If you look at other passages in the Bible, he says we're to kill sin, we're to flee from sin, we're to abstain from it, we're not to have a hint. How do we have this and actually really desire, I mean part of it is just desire, right? How do we desire a not a hint mentality with this kind of sin? It all comes back to how you view your identity, friend. How do you view yourself? Real quick, just look at what Paul calls Christians in verse 3. He says, "These, These things must not even be named among you as is proper among who? anybody? Saints, the saints. Okay, to a people struggling with sexual sin and purity, what does Paul call them? He calls them saints. So, it, you and I, we, we don't actually use this word very regularly. I just want to unpack this for, for just a, a quick second. And we definitely don't use it to describe ourselves very much. Uh, we might say, man, they are a saint for helping me move or giving me their time. Or uh, man, maybe you're used to thinking of uh, a saint as the famous person that you wear around your neck, the devout, holy few that you can never be like. A saint literally means someone who's holy, set apart, pure, undefiled. And in the New Testament. Remember this, Christians are a mess. They struggle with racism, getting drunk, sexual sin, lawsuits against one another, gossip, fighting. The list goes on. Yet, one of the most common words to be used to describe Christians is what? Saints. 61 times Christians are called holy ones, undefiled ones, pure ones. How? How does that make sense? I think I and we tend to forget that we are saints, we are holy ones, we are pure ones only because of, only because of the work of another. When Paul wrote to the, the Corinthian church, which, which arguably is probably like the most immoral church in the Bible, he said, Man, y'all are a mess. You weren't pure or holy, but, but he says in this, 1 Corinthians 6 11, he says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to believe and follow Jesus means you once had, once and for all, had an identity change. Before Christ, you and I were not pure. We were not saints. When Jesus was uh, teaching in Matthew 5, He was teaching to a bunch of, um, a lot of the guys listening were like teachers of the law, supposedly, you know, kind of the saints of the day. And He got to talking about um, adultery. And you got to picture all these people in your mind like, yeah, I haven't committed adultery. I'm good. I'm a saint. I'm holy. And he says, I, I tell you, if, you even looked, if you've even looked lustful, if you thought a lustful thought, you're an adulterer. And you, you picture in that pastor, everyone's like, oh man, I have, wow, I've missed the mark. I'm not holy. I'm not pure. I'm not a saint. I don't measure up. But Christ says, in me, you have now another reputation that's not your own. The identity, the only one who lived a pure life. I love what Hebrews 4 says. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Just think about this for a second. Every temptation, every every time you have given in to sin, Jesus beat it. Jesus faced it and that temptation and beat it. He's the one true saint. He's the one true pure one. And you and I have been placed, remember, he's been placed in our place and, and we're in his place. We have his identity forever. And, and no slip up or sin is changing that if you're in Christ. If you looked at porn last night and you know Jesus, you are a saint. You're washed, you're clean because of Jesus. If you've had a terrible week with lust and you were just struggling you are, and you're in Christ, You are you are a saint. Man, can you look to your neighbor and say, man, you're a saint. Just do it real quick. I want to hear it. We don't say it enough. And, man, I hope you guys are feeling the good news of that. If Christ has given you his identity and purity, it makes us want to walk that out, not take advantage of his grace to see how much we can get away with, right? So instead of, like, nudging closer to the line as we can. We, we run from sin. We kill sin because we want to follow Jesus. We want to be like he's already made us. Because you're already a saint, you want to confess sin, specific sin to your stoop group or people close in your life. You, you want people to help you. you. By the way, if you're struggling with, with these kinds of sins, you need other people around you to help you. I hope you know that. Be, because you're already a saint, you want to take care and you want to be careful with what kind of media you ingest and stuff you watch. Because you're already a saint, you'll gladly inconvenience yourself in your fight for purity. It doesn't matter what it takes. You'll, you'll go for it. Now, I pastor here, I'm your pastor, and I, I know this is a huge area of struggle. Um, and I want to specifically address uh, just a couple different groups of people that I think I regularly encounter here. Um, the, the first is some of you are here and, and um, you probably want to do your own thing when it comes to your sexuality. I think you've probably brought into the culture's view of sexual purity that, uh, that says, man, it is so archaic for the Bible to try to police my sexuality. My, my sexuality is an expression of who I am, and any attempt to put limits on that is enslaving. And the word purity brings up uh, words like lame, Boring, shackling, enslaving, uh, or or maybe you just feel like numb. You just don't really care. And, and what I need you to hear, and honestly, this is not me. This is this passage. What I need you to hear is uh, a warning and a wake up. And I want to show you this in verses five and six briefly. Uh, verse five says, "For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ." And God, let no one deceive you for with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons and daughters of disobedience. Okay, what's he saying? Paul's repeating those first three sins again. And he says if you regularly engage in those, you're not a part of God's people. And, and you might say, whoa, 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 what happened to forgiveness in the gospel? I, I thought, I thought we were saved from those things, if we committed those things. So is Paul saying that if I struggle and falter with this stuff, then, then I'm just cast out? No, that's not at all what he's saying. I, there's a commentator, uh, Hughes, and he's helpful in this verse. He says, uh, do Christians fall into these sins? So of course, yes. But true Christians will not persist in them, for persistence is, and sensuality is a graceless state. So what he's saying is, Man, if you have an unapologetic, unabashed porn habit, if you have no remorse sleeping with your boyfriend, if you're more worried about hiding sin than beating sin, then God is giving you a warning here. If you have persistent patterns of sexual sin with no desire to really change, it's evidence that your identity is not rooted in Christ. And he's saying, if this is you, you you shouldn't have confidence that God's your father. Or that you're his son or daughter. He actually says that those people, the people that persist unapologetically, unabashedly, unrepentantly, he says you're a child of disobedience in verse six. That's who you're imitating. And guys, I, I get this. This was my story. I grew up in high school and middle school checking the Christian box. I went to college and, and I realized my life did not resemble Jesus at all. It's in, in the areas that we're talking about. And I had people lovingly come aside me and warn me and tell me, hey, this just doesn't resemble Jesus. Something is off here. And you know what it did? It turned me back to Christ. It turned me to Christ really for the first time actually. And so friend, this is, if this is you, this is, this is the invitation. This is a stern warning, but it's an, invite, it's an invitation to turn from sin, to come to Jesus because he'll receive you with grace. Not to find your identity in your sexuality, but ultimately in, in being a pure saint of Christ. And a second group, some of you hear this call to purity, and you feel just discouraged. Um, You feel beat down, you feel ashamed, you feel weak, you feel defeated. You really want to beat sin in your life, but honestly, you just feel like uh, you can't. Um, I've thought to a lot of you over here, and I think you need encouragement. And I hope this passage does. You you might be struggling a little bit with kind of what some of you may know to be a legalistic purity culture. You may have heard some of those um, about that before, but basically this is avoiding sexual sin with a primary motivation of shame and guilt. I have to follow the Bible's rules, and if I slip one iota, then, then I'm damaged goods. I'm unredeemable. You might feel like Paul uh, in Romans 7. He says, I keep doing the sin I hate. The pure life I want to live, I can't even seem to live it out. And the sin I, I, I want to die in me, I keep doing. He, he says in Romans seven twenty four, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Maybe you feel like that. What's his answer? He says in the next verse, and what's our answer? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 25. So, brother, sister, if you're just discouraged, I think Paul's invitation, my invitation to you is just to to lift your eyes back up to Jesus, to remember that no sin can separate you from him. Remember who you are and whose you are. Remember your identity is already accomplished. Right after falling to a sin, you can worship God because he's made you pure and holy and set apart once and for all. i let that encourage you. And as we close at this point, if you're not a Christian here, I just want to be extra clear. What I, what I want you to hear is our greatest hope for you is not for you to uphold the right sex ethic. That's not our greatest hope for you. Um, I think a lot of times people that are not Christians hear that about this issue, like we'll be talking about sleeping with a boyfriend or homosexuality, and, and they'll hear the, big, the biggest thing Christians care about is stop doing that. And if you're not a Christian, I, I need you to hear that is not the biggest thing we want for you. Becoming a Christian is not getting your sexuality right and then coming to God because I figured it out. Uh, You've already failed, and so have I. Your ultimate hope is, is coming and giving all, just coming as you are to Jesus, giving everything to him, the one pure one, the only one that can make you pure and holy and right. And our desire is you would come to him today. i um, I got to confess, I lopsided these verses big time. So they, this, these verses that we're talking talk about, greed and our speech, and I focused in on this one because I think it was relevant, but briefly, I just Paul describes living a pure life as is, is also avoiding covetousness, filthy talk, crude joking. Um, covetousness really just means we have an unquenchable desire for more. It's, it's basically greed. And uh, I think uh, we'll have to talk about this for another day. I'm not going to focus on it today, but I think it's so important because this is one of the uh, acceptable sins in the church, right? I, I don't think I've been a pastor for a little while now. I don't think I've ever had anyone come say, hey, man, I'm, I'm really struggling with greed. Can you help me? Uh, can you help me with that? And then verse four, I'm not going to touch on because we, um, because we really spent time on this last week that Pastor Mutasib um, really worked through what does it look like to have speech that's reflecting of being saints? Because out of, uh, out of our hearts, our mouth speaks out of our identity as saints speech that tears down and is crude and is shameful. In verse four should be far from us. And he covered that last week. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from last week, um, Let's just hear more about how the gospel affects our speech. And in all these things, we walk in purity because God has made us pure. He's made us saints. That's point two. And um, the last way that we walk and imitate God is that we walk in light. Walk in light. And again, we walk in light because of identity we already have. We hear it in verse 6. Sorry, verse 8. For at one time... You were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Did you hear that? You were darkness. My, um, my Google Doc kept trying to autocorrect to say you were, or you, you had darkness or you, or you were in darkness. It wouldn't let me say you were darkness. Like you said, that's incorrect English. That's what Paul says. You were Darkness. Like, not you were in darkness, or you had some dark tendencies sometimes, or you had a little bit of a dark side. Um, he says your identity without Christ or before Christ would be summarized by this word, identity-level word, darkness. That's, that's heavy. You and I were like Darth Vader without like the, the secret good side inside that Luke could pull out, you know what I mean? Just fully dark. Darkness has the connotation of being evil, being uh, blind, not having a direction, uh, chaos. The saying, without Jesus, our our minds are evil. Actually, Ephesians 4.18 says that. Um, Romans 1 says, our morality was blinded. Um, Titus 3 said, our relationships were conflicted and chaotic. And we actually brought more confusion, evil, and conflict into the world because we were darkness. But then look at chapter 5, verse 8. But now, but now, you are light in the Lord. When we were lost in darkness, Jesus came as the one and only light into the world. That's what John 8 says. So we wouldn't be in darkness anymore. In another place, Paul says, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And there is no clearer picture of a drastic change that happens when we get saved by Jesus, that we were darkness, and then, boom, you are light. And then, after identity has been established, Paul says, simply, just, hey, because you're already light, because Christ has made you light, walk in light, as children of light. And, and he gives us a, a couple of general categories of what walking in light looks like. First, is a negative command. Uh, the first is an invitation. He says, don't partner with darkness. Therefore, do not become, this is verse 7, partners with them, talking about people that committing the sins that we just talked about, Uh, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. So Paul's basically saying, don't hitch your wagon too closely with those not in Christ. There's a similar passage in 2 Corinthians that I think will help us unpack this. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? There's that light dark right there, right? Paul's not saying that we don't love and spend time with non-Christians. He's saying what you need to avoid are types of committed relationships and situations that would cause you to partner with darkness together, that would cause darkness to enter into your life and you to walk in darkness. Uh. So if a Christian marries a non-Christian, that Christian is almost always going to be drawn somewhat away from Jesus to some degree. I, I cannot count the number of times where I have seen guys or ladies that have been drawn away from Jesus trying to do the uh, evangel dating thing. You guys know evangel dating? Heard that? Dating to evangelize? Uh, I, I was straight up. I tried it. did not go well. Uh, if you're in a close business relationship with a kind of a shady business a partner partner with shady business tendencies you're going to get pulled into that darkness as well and so i want to be clear we should be on mission to those who are in darkness those that do not know christ but we paul saying we should be careful on how we partner with them and the level of partnership we have that causes us to stray from jesus and in verse 10 he says because we're trying to discern what's pleasing to the lord verse 10 because we want to please god not people um, if you are light, if you're walking as children of light, people will think that you're, um, that sometimes that you're in the Stone Age, that you're old-fashioned, that you're outdated by following a Bi- the Bible. But we just remember that our aim is to please Him because He's our Father. And if you want to be light to those in darkness, you need to stand out. You actually need to be different. And to blend into the world and to look just like the world looks is to forfeit the light that actually draws other people to Jesus, And so if our, if our view of sexuality, if our view of speech, if our view of materialism, if our view of media looks the same as everyone else outside of the church, someone that doesn't know Jesus, you're probably not standing out as light very much to draw them into Christ. And so the second invitation, based on our identity of light, is this, is to expose darkness. He says in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So exposing has this idea of, of uncovering, right? Uh, confronting, convicting. Walking in light doesn't mean we keep to ourselves, but that we confront darkness around us. In a world filled with greed and trafficked children and abuse of power and addictions and shady business practices and taking advantage of the poor and, and so many other things to name, we Christians cannot stand idly by just watching, but we're invited to Uh, expose them. And we need, man, so much wisdom, so much discernment, so much courage and gentleness when we think about doing this. And there are different reactions you will get by exposing darkness. Really, there's two. Uh, One, some will hate it. John actually says this in John 3. He says, when Jesus came in the world as a light, some people hated the light because it exposed them. I cannot stop thinking about my high school dances whenever I hear this verse. The teachers, they had an issue with how we were dancing, right? There was a lot of uh, bump and grind going on. Uh, it was, I don't even know what high school, anyways, I was talking about that. Um, it's a long time ago. Um, it, was pretty, it was pretty crazy. And why? It was dark. So the teachers, what did they do to, to, to fix it? What did they do? They turned the light on. How did we respond? We were mad. The dances were not fun anymore. No one danced right? Because uh, it was bringing light. We did not feel comfortable doing in the light what we were doing in the dark. And some people respond that way as you expose darkness. Uh, You will get flack for living a holy life at times. But also, number two, some will become light. And this is the, the end of this passage here. Christian, you are light now because someone was light in your life and drew you to Christ. I'd be willing to bet that some Christian actually just by the way they were living as a model or maybe even their words exposed something in you that that maybe awakened a desire for Christ. or Maybe you saw something in them that, that awakened a desire for Christ, something they were living or a way they were living. And Paul's saying, now you can be used in the same way to draw other people to Jesus. Uh, J.B. Phillips says it's even about this verse; it's even possible, after all, it's happened to you, for the light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. And he's talking about this passage in, a, in a, or sorry, this text in Ephesians five fourteen, the last verse for this morning. It was likely used as a hymn when someone got baptized, and it says this. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So as you walk in the light and expose darkness, your words, your actions are meant to be a living invitation, drawing others to come to know the true light of the world. The only reason we're light is because the light of the world, Jesus, dwells in us. You're drawing others in to come to know him and actually become light themselves. Man, I'd say standing out as light is worth that if we get to be used by that in someone's life. So guys, Paul's offered three, I think, bold and and countercultural invitations on what it looks like to to walk so we can actually imitate God. That we get to imitate the God of the, the universe, our Heavenly Father, because Jesus has secured an identity for us. And now, as we prepare to turn our gaze toward communion and take that time together, we we turn to remember these invitations are really only possible, and I want you to be thinking about this as we take communion. They're only possible because of what Christ has already secured on the cross and said, it is finished. In him, you are already, if you're in Christ, beloved children, you're already pure saints, you're already light in the Lord. And these are facts set in stone about who you are, about who your identity is. And if you're a Christian, your Satan will try to convince you otherwise. He'll try to convince you that God does not care for you, that you're not his beloved. That you're really hopeless and sin is more powerful than you, or that really him who lives in you. That you're confused and in darkness, but really as we take this time together, remember those are lies because of what Christ has already accomplished. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. This is who we are in Christ, Christian. So let's take this time to examine your life. Who are you imitating? Let's pray. Father, we come with confession and with thanks. God, we confess that we don't always walk in the identities you secured for us. I often walk in a, a transactional type of love that doesn't reflect the cross. I honestly, I, I often have a "how close can I get to something" mentality instead of fleeing from sin. I just uh, often don't want to stand out and look different from the world. This is hard. But God, I pray that we would see the identities that you'd purchased for us as so much more inviting, so much more glorious, so much more adventurous, so much more engaging, so much more exciting. God, would you fill our hearts up with, with just gratitude for the generosity that you have laid out before your people, that you've made us saints, that we can call ourselves your beloved, that we can call ourselves light in the Lord. A city on a hill all because of your grace, all because of your grace. God, help us be a people that live in light of your accomplished work on the cross, the finished good news realities of what you have accomplished. Empower us with your spirit. God, in this time of reflection, would you convict uh, those that need to be convicted? Would you encourage those that need to be encouraged and strengthen those that need to be strengthened? And God, will we not do any of these things alone, but will we partner together to love and encourage and and uh, and point out and expose um, together? Help us do that in Jesus' name for Your glory. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church podcast.